We've called this five steps, security brings success. So we've got five steps uh, that we're going to be engaging with today uh, to, in, to, to unpack what it means to be secure. I wonder what you think about when you think about security or success. In the world today, so many people say things like, once I've got my next success, then I'll feel secure. People go after success in a big way in order that they can achieve security. People say, if I could just get this one big contract, then I'd be secure. If I could just earn a little bit more money, I can put enough away so I can be secure. I want to have a secure future. I want my children to know security. In, in leadership, I know if I just do another couple of years, I'll finally be secure. So we've been sold a myth. And the myth is, if you can just get success you can get security. So the myth we're sold is that su success will bring you security. But in reality, in the kingdom, it's not success that brings security. It's actually the security that brings success. You know, I know a lot of insecure, successful leaders. But I know very few secure, unsuccessful leaders. The reality is, yes, you can find material success as an insecure person, but you're much more guaranteed to find great success if you've also found security first. When you're secure, you're going to find success. And we begin to think about what success actually means, because success can't be measured just in terms of numeric growth of our churches or, or the bottom line on our, on our balance sheet or you know, the reach of our product or, or the photographs in whichever magazine. Success means much more than your material gain. Success can be measured in your collaboration, in your legacy, and in your joy. And those things are only available to people who are truly secure. You see, you can't create a great legacy if you are insecure, because you can't give away what God has already given to you. You can't collaborate effectively if you're insecure, because you're so desperate to hold on to all the toys, so everyone knows that it's your hard work that's paying off here. You know, it's your influence, it's your gift. And actually, if you're insecure as a leader, you can't really celebrate. I've met some amazing leaders in terms of reach and success who are deeply unhappy because they believe that they're only as good as their last sermon. They're only as good as their last balance sheet. They're only as good as their last product. And they believe that the whole image of them is entirely dependent on what they do, not on who they are. You can't actually find real success. That is the ability to celebrate what God has achieved in and through you unless you first address issues of security in the heart. Nicky Gumbel said this morning in his amazing address, know how much God loves you. If you don't, you will lead out of insecurity, doubt, and fear. Now, ultimately, at the heart of our belonging, the heart of our security are two tracks. There's the interpersonal track of me as a person relating to others, and there's the supernatural track of me as a person relating to a God who knows me and loves me. Now, when we can ride the carriage of success on the rails of security, we're going to get to a great destination. But these are the two tracks, the supernatural knowledge that I belong to God and the supernatural knowledge that I belong to others, which doesn't often feel very supernatural. But both things are a miracle of the Lord, as we heard this morning, that we can be loved by God so we can love others and others can also love us. Our foundations become secure in him. 
I wanted to begin uh, really with a little bit of scripture. This is a, a verse now from Matthew 7, verse 25. We don't use this very much because everyone's busy singing that little song about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And so I, no, I haven't never, I don't, I've hardly ever heard any adult teaching. Am I missing something? I, I've hardly heard any adult teaching about the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand and the wise man who built his house upon the rock. I've done a lot of like Sunday school teaching on this stuff, but it seems to have missed out on the church here. I want to point out the fact that if you're in any sort of leadership, Jesus has already identified some of the problems you're going to face. Now, there are four things here in the passage, Matthew 7, 25. The first one is the rain came down. The reality is that circumstances will change for the worst in your leadership. Your leadership cannot be measured in terms of months or even numeric years under 10, but your life of leadership, you can guarantee that the rains will come down. Rich Wilkerson Jr. this morning said, criticism is going to get on me, but criticism is not going to get in me. Criticism is the reality of leadership. It's like the rain coming down. Now, when the rain comes down, we're all going to get into the actions now, the streams begin to rise up. The streams are what happens when criticism affects the foundations of your leadership experience. So it might not just be your experience, but the experience of your team when they face criticism is to begin to kind of fold. And actually they begin to sink. The foundations get wet. The water begins to rise. And then you see that the winds blow. Opposition will come against you. Normally when you're most vulnerable in leadership. There will be opposition, it nearly always comes out of left field, and you're going, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're facing criticism, my team is losing confidence, and now a magazine has written a horrible article about us, to paraphrase this morning's talk. And then you'll notice that you're directly target, you're a direct target of their, hospi of their hostility. It beat against the house. When you're a leader, and criticism comes against you and your team are affected and the culture begins to shift, you become the locus of other people's hostility. You're letting us down. You're not doing a good enough job as a leader. You should have changed things. You know, why did you introduce this new plan? Why couldn't we have stuck to the old thing? Now, I've led a, a few churches now and um, I, can guarantee, I can tell you when you take over a church, you hear so much about the previous leader's ministry, you could write a book about it. You know, they are so good at telling you what the previous leader did or what the previous leader's wife did or even what the previous leader's kids did and how far off the mark of the previous leader you are now. If you're a church leader here, you know what this feels like. They might as well present you with like a full-blown bound copy of the life and times of the previous leader so you could just read it and weep. Criticism will come against you in leadership. Challenge will come against you in leadership. But here we are, we, we need to address what Jesus is calling to us address, which if we want success and leadership, we've got to address the foundations. Here it says, the foundations on the rock stood firm. You know, we recently in London built the Shard. There's a lot of building above ground, but I want you to know there is a huge amount of building below ground. There was a vast amount of building underground. In order to create a structure above ground, you have to create incredible foundations below ground. Most of the unhappy leaders that me and Kate and Rob work with in the Mind and Soul Foundation have not addressed their foundations, hence with a Mind and Soul Foundation. Because you've got to have foundations in your mind and you've got to have foundations in your soul which will give your leadership genuine strength. 
Unfortunately, in this kind of megatastic online generation, the world seems to be all above the surface. We get very caught up in how people perceive us rather than what we're really like. We think above the waterline, but we're sinking below the waterline. We've got to address issues of our foundations. Wayne Dyer said that self-worth comes from one thing, thinking that you are worthy. I completely disagree with him. Self-worth comes from one thing, and that's knowing that you've been made worthy through the blood of Jesus. The supernatural track of your belonging, of your security, comes from first and foremost knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're made secure in him, knowing that if everyone turned against you, if the rain came down in, in incredible proportion, if it was a monsoon in your leadership right now, you would be secure because you know that you are loved ultimately by God. Another verse I want to introduce you to just now is Philippians 4 verse 13. It says, in, in the NIV, it's often translated, I remind that I'm sort of always imagine the man Graham off Blind Date if you're as old as me, or, or maybe someone from the X Factor reading this out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or something similar. It's such a sort of matristic verse, it doesn't really catch me, because it seems to suggest that you can do all things, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but, but, but actually the, the inference here in the Greek is, 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 is slightly different. Ishto entoi means I am strong in the one. It's a, it's a completely different inference. It's not that I can do all things as if my journey of faith is mechanized in terms of my doing, but actually it says that I am innately strong in the one. Uh, I am strong in the one. I want to, if you like, reorder your estimation of your strength today, your foundations, by flipping up, if you like, a, a, a better interpretation of this same verse. That rather than this being about your doing, it's about your inner security. You, you are strong in the one. That your life is hidden with Christ. That when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son Jesus. That actually your strength is in the one. Like ultimately the foundation of your leadership is how far you're hid into the nature and person of Jesus Christ. I want you uh, today to be affirmed in that supernatural strength. But in order to make that real, we have to live that out practically. And everyone here is immediately going, yes, I love that. But how do I actually do that? You know, I think a cultural motif today is you've got to fake it to make it. Uh, we hear it all the time. In fact, I hear in quite a lot of Christian leadership seminars, people are told, oh, fake it to make it. You know, you've just got to kind of act it and then you'll begin to do it. I couldn't disagree more with the motif, you've got to fake it to make it. You've got to believe it to be it. That's the thing that we're called to. It's not fakery in order that we might be perceived to know what we're doing. It's truly believing it. If we believe it, we will be it. What you believe, you will be. What do you believe about yourself as a leader today? Do you believe in the security that Christ has afforded you? Do you believe in the gifts that God has laid upon you? Do you believe in the calling, most importantly? that you're carrying right now. If you believe it, you will become it. But if you fake it, you're never gonna make it. You know, ultimately, what's important here is not a journey of smoke and mirrors into leadership. It leads you to this position we call leadership vertigo. The higher you get, the more afraid you feel. 
I've counseled some, some, some really significant leaders here in London over, over the last 10 years. And I can tell you, I've had some incredible conversations from people. I've been sort of almost shaking to kind of do a coaching session with. Like, oh my goodness, like, what, what am I going to say? You know, they, they don't want to hear anything from me. And I've heard things like, well, you know, it's really terrifying when you get to the top because you realize there's nothing there. Or, um, well, you know, people think I know what I'm doing, but really I've got no clue. Uh, Will, I'm just really living like I'm waiting to be found out. Uh, I feel like a fraud. I'm kind of living like a fraud. And the more people celebrate me, the more fraudulent I feel. This is the reality for both Christian and non-Christian leaders. Why? Because we've been so schooled in the idea that we can fake it to make it. When we make it, it's a hell on earth. We're up there thinking, what on earth am I doing here? How far have I come? How unjustified do I feel? But Jesus justifies those that he calls. He's justified us. He's called us. He's equipped us. He wants us to believe in order that we might become. And I, I want to challenge you first and foremost with this idea about changing your playlist. I had one of these um, Walkman back in the day. Uh, I'm not sure if you had one too. Some people here won't even know what that is, and that makes me feel very sad. This is a particularly cool uh, brand. I can't reference it now for the tape, but it had auto-reverse. Because back in the day, when you had a tape, you had to actually take the tape out, turn it physically around, and then put it back and press play in order that you can hear the rest of this 45-minute recording. You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a special thing when you got auto-reverse, and it was so special that they printed it on the cover of your Walkman, because otherwise no one would know, because they would miss that kind of one-second bit when you opened it up, turned around, put it back in, and closed the door again. So having auto-reverse was seriously cool. The thing about tapes was that, unlike data, tapes couldn't be deleted. You can't delete a tape. Uh, you know, you, your dog might pull out the tape and run away with it, which was about as close to deletion as you could get. But even if you could wind the whole thing back, you could still probably play it. You can never delete a tape. It was always the tape. We used to make these incredible mixtapes when I was a kid. At least I thought they were incredible. And the only way to, to kind of deal with the cost of making mixtapes was you have to recycle your mixtapes. You'd have to record over them again. And then everyone knows about the funny little margins who are my age at the end where you'd kind of get a little bit of Billy Ocean and then it would quickly move into the spiral carpets. And um, it always sounded a bit odd. But you know, you record up to the margins. Many of you right now are listening to a negative playlist over and over again in your mind. You cannot delete it. It's recorded in your mind. We don't forget anything. It's all logged, it's all stored. And that playlist says, you know what, you're not up to much. If people found out what you really like, they're never gonna follow you. You better work hard, son. You better work hard, daughter, because if you make a mistake, it's all over. There's no room for you to collaborate. There's no room for you to experiment. That's dangerous. What you need to do is you need to look great all the time. You need to get it right all the time. You need to keep it safe all the time. Just keep looking good and, you know, Maybe at 60, 65, you can retire and then you can relax and just be yourself. That's sadly how many people in leadership live. Just trying to hold on until the moment they can press eject, disappear off the grid and just be themselves. God hasn't called you to leadership to be someone else. He's called you to leadership to be you because he sees you as a light in the universe. He's called you to transform the world around you. He's called you uniquely in his name. What we need to do is we need to record over that negative data. 
We need to record over that with the playlist of Jesus and his words of love and affirmation to us. That is a daily decision, a daily journey to take on board and to accept the words of Jesus made, made known to us in Scripture and to reject those words which have become a daily playlist for us. And it actually psychologically can help you to record a playlist, believe it or not, on your iPhone where you read out the words of Jesus and you listen to them in your headphones when you're on the tube just to remind yourself about what he says about you today. Start your day believing and you will become. Start your day subordinate to a playlist which says that you're nothing and you'll amount to nothing and your behavior will follow suit. We want you to be authentic in who God has created you to be. Therefore, the first thing you can do to transform your experience into one of security is to begin to practice believing the words of Jesus in your life. Overcoming insecurity begins by a conscious listening to what we've been hearing for a lifetime. A recognition, an observation, and then a decision to do something new. Here at Mindlessell, we, we, we deal with all sorts of mental health issues, but we always categorize mental illness as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Now, our motif is if you change something, you will change something. So my encouragement for you today is to begin by changing your playlist. Make something different. Believe what Jesus is saying. The second step for you to become secure is all around failure. We want you to be willing to fail. Now, in a perfectionistic culture, it's so countercultural to say to people, we want you to fail. Immediately you're thinking, you don't really want me to fail. Well, we don't want you to fail per se. We want you to decide to invest in a way which creates the genuine risk of failure. You know, being safe or playing it safe will never enable you to live fully and freely. This is Michael Jordan. And you know, Michael Jordan ostensibly the best basketball player of all time. But he said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. Uh, I've lost almost 300 games. And 26 times, you know, Michael Jordan was standing on the point waiting to shoot a hoop. Where the time clock was running out, just that one hoop would have won the game. Yet 26 times, he lost the entire game for his whole team by missing that one hoop. Now, that is an experience of extreme and public failure. And yes, he says, I failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. If our foundations are insecure, that sort of failure is not available to us. Not because we don't believe we'll fail, because we're constantly being hounded by the belief that we will fail, but because we won't put ourselves in a circumstance where we could ever be exposed to that kind of humiliation, because that would be far too terrifying, and we might fail in a way which would be catastrophic to our self-image. But actually, God's called us to risk. When he sent the disciples out, he didn't say, guys, go to this village, this village, and this village. They're all going to welcome you in. You're going to have a fantastic time preaching the gospel in those places. He said, go out with this bag and these sandals and this cloak. And, you know, if people reject you, you know, that's, that's all right. 
dust your sandals, move on to the next town. And as you go along, you're going to find some people who want to hear this message and some people who won't. Failure is absolutely part and parcel of our Christian journey. To be afraid of failure is to be afraid to participate fully and freely. And you're invited to be free people to participate fully. Not to fear the judgments of man, but instead to participate in the playground of God. Say, God, I want to do this. I want to try this. I'm not afraid of the criticism of man because I'm here for you. And people often say to me, Will, you know, tell me about your prayer life. I've always wanted to have a really amazing, earnest story of like transformative prayer. I'm always like, oh, if I was like one of those people who get up at three in the morning that don't need any sleep and just pray in tongues for like five hours before they start the day. That's what I've always longed for. But I've got to be honest with you. My prayer life orientates around one prayer every single day. It's my shaving prayer. If you don't shave, obviously, you can make your moisturizing prayer if you want to adopt this. But you know, I pray every day when I'm shaving and I say, God, let me fear you today and not fear man. That's it. Amen. It's my like daily prayer. It's my shaving and prayer. Why? Because the default in my life is not to fear God and accept my freedom. It's to fear man and to hide away from the potential that I might fail. Like my shaving prayer reorientates my life of risk. Because when I fear God, God says risk will and know that you're loved. But when I fear man, he says you better not fail otherwise you're going to look stupid. My secure foundations are dependent on the priority of my fear of God in my life. So my shaving prayer starts my day by saying, God, I want to fear you because I want to risk. I want to be free to fail. You, you need to accept the reality of failure in your life if you're going to enjoy real security and leadership. Emerson said that what lies before you and what lies behind you is nothing compared to what lies within you. If what's within you is strong, if what's within you is secure, you can face the challenges of tomorrow. You can face the failures of yesterday. It's what's in you. It's the foundations in you that determine how you walk. Your security, your strength that comes from Christ, that is what will equip you for effective and successful, secure leadership. Thirdly, we need to take more risks. Now, it seems to follow that if you uh, are willing to fail, you're therefore willing to risk even more. Lots of leaders, particularly perfectionistic leaders, and we've written a book about this, tend to put one iron in the fire. They're like, this is the thing. The Lord's called me to this. I'm going to do this one thing brilliantly. So they put one iron in the fire and the view is, you know, this is the thing that I'm doing. And I'm going to be successful in this at all costs. But what happens when actually that thing doesn't work out? Well, they can't accept that. So they keep on like flogging the same iron. This iron will work. This venture will work. This project will work. This church will work. I'm not going to leave until this is working. But actually... In secure leadership, we put many irons in the fire. You know, great leaders tend to have taken lots and lots of different major risks by placing a huge amount of different irons in the fire. Some of them will succeed, but many of them will fail. When you look at leaders, uh, business leaders like Sir Alan Sugar or, or um, Sir Philip Green or even Donald Trump himself, you'll notice that actually they've got a number of different bankrupt businesses behind them. But no one says, well, you're not a success in business. 
Why? Because they were willing to take many risks. There tends to be, in our experience, uh, this dichotomy between these two sorts of leader. The perfectionistic leader who's deeply insecure, he says, or she says, I must not lose. But the problem-solving pragmatist says, I will find a way to succeed. And there are many ways. If you're in leadership here, stop placing all of your energy into one iron. It's highly likely that you're limited in your creative ability if you just do one thing. You should be doing many different things. Some of them will have small consequence. Some will have big consequence. Some will have small success. Some will have great success. Some will have moderate, moderate, moderate element of failure. Some will have a great element of failure. But all of them help to charge and direct your leadership moving forward. Place more irons in the fire. I had an anxiety breakdown back in 2005 as a result of the London bombings, and I went to see uh, quite an eminent therapist to help me in my recovery. As, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with this guy. In fact, I spent a couple of years with him in the end. But I can still remember one of the first sessions I had with him. And he, kept, he looked at me with great compassion, which was very disarming because he didn't, he didn't really ever say anything. But he, he let me just tell him what was on my heart. I, I remember it was probably the second session I had with him. He said, do you paint I remember thinking, oh my goodness, where is this? Am I paying for this? Um, he said, do you paint? I said, well, I did paint at school. I did A-level art. He said, can I give you some advice? I'm thinking, yes, you're on the clock, mate. I'm definitely paying for this. He said, can I suggest that you go to an art shop and get a canvas and some paints and that you start painting? And I said, oh yeah, okay. I felt really like annoyed. I felt kind of disgruntled and disappointed. I thought he was going to come up with some really profound psychology to really help me. Lo and behold, I found myself painting pictures. And it was such a blessing to me. Now, I've got to be honest, none of my pictures are for exhibition, and none of them have ever sold. But it was for me. It was an iron in the fire. And actually, since that advice, now more than 12, 13 years ago, I've carried on being creative as an iron in my fire, and it's given me incredible joy, but it's also helped fulfill my leadership potential. Take more risks. Place more irons in the fire. Be pragmatic in your problem solving. Try to get away from perfectionistic insecurities that says you have to get it right all the time, whatever the cost. Fourthly, we need to start sharing the toys. Now, if you're insecure in your leadership and you're not sure, you can measure it right now by the amount of collaboration that's going on in your leadership and ministry. How do you honestly feel when your organization or you yourself recruit a millennial who's an absolute genius on social media, is seriously cool and seems to do everything completely effortlessly? shops in shops that you've never ever heard about, where's a clone you've never investigated. Everything about them looks pretty incredible and they also seem to float about three quarters of an inch off the floor. Tell me if you feel it's okay to collaborate with them, to raise them up, to celebrate them, to champion them, to give them more and more of your opportunities. If you feel free and good, then you're not in the wrong seminar. But many of us face a reality that something within us, something insecure says, oh, they're going to outshine you. They're going to like, people are going to like them more than they like you. People are going to celebrate them more than they celebrate you. People are going to start listening to them. They're not going to listen to you anymore. You know, taking a risk on collaboration, sharing the toys of your leadership is the greatest mark of your security. Your ability to give away what God has given you, 
That's what he's called you to, to give away. The church is about giving away what, the, what God has given us. Our desire to give away Christ and him crucified. Our, our, our passion to share the good news with others. Our hunger to see young leaders raised up to church leadership so there might be multiplication. And yet so much of our leadership is tied up in this, oh, but, oh, in, in, in the public facing square, we're all busy introducing these people, aren't we? I work at HTB. A brilliant new vicar walks in the door pretty much every month with funnier anecdotes, you know, a bigger reach, cooler hair. I'm like, I got to 40, I'm like having my mega crisis. I did a fit for 40 plan so I could kind of get in shape to challenge the 23-year-old who's going to turn up next week looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger with a Bible under his arm. Honestly, <laughs> no, we were on a mission to try and like hold on to the toys. We can fool ourselves by thinking, yeah, you know, I, I, oh, I'm all about, you know, the next generation. I'm all about giving it away, apart from when it really hurts, when people are praising and celebrating their ministry or their work or, or, or their outstanding performance. But actually, this is where it's won or lost. I'm secure when I give away what I've received. I'm secure when I'm building other people up to do better than I could ever do. My security in this instance is totally life-giving. That's the thing about generosity and collaboration. When you collaborate with others, it's a blessing to them, but oh boy, is it a bigger blessing to you. You see yourself for what you really are. You can see that, ah, or you can see that, oh wow, God has softened my heart. It's won and lost here. And, and I can only invite you to believe that collaboration is a good thing, because then you'll become a collaborator. You cannot fake collaboration to make it. You know what? Because it involves other people. I'm going to fake being really generous with all the millennial geniuses around here. And then I'm going to turn into like a wizened, bitter old leader in the corner and watch them all do brilliantly. You can't do it. You've got to believe that collaboration is good for your soul and then you will become a collaborator and it will feed you and it will bless you. You know, in our ministry now, I, 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 I never feel more privileged and thankful than when people say, oh, I remember the time when you gave me the microphone, when you gave me the opportunity, when you gave me that position. I feel so blessed. I realize that that's the thing that God has called us all to do. But we can't do it without secure foundations in him. Brené Brown said that vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they are never weakness. You know, this is an uncomfortable ministry. Truth, who am I? How am I wrestling? And vulnerability, okay, I want you to do this. I, I don't think I can do this better than you can. Being courageous, deciding for it, it's hard, it hurts. It's real strength. I think that insecurity is this great threat to collaboration. In the church, we're really good at saying, oh, you don't want to work with like a confident person. Confident people, they're a bit proud. Don't spend too much time with really overconfident people because they'll never let you have a go. I found the reverse to be true. I found that really confident people, sometimes what I'd call overconfident people, are often the greatest collaborators. They don't, they don't feel it. They don't feel concerned that they're giving away their best opportunities. You know, Nicky is one of the best preachers I've ever heard, and yet he spends 90% of his teaching ministry interviewing other people to hear about the amazing things that they're doing in Jesus' name. He's, in my estimation, one of the best interviewers on the planet at the moment. 
but his ministry is to give away to others. Uh, my boss here, Nikki Lee, who runs the marriage and marriage prep courses with his wife, Scylla, he gives away so many opportunities to us to lead, to lead their ministry, to teach their talks, and says, oh, I'm sure you did that better than we did. I'm thinking you've got 40 years behind you of doing this together. I know that's not, is that really true? It's like, I think so. That work of affirmation and collaboration comes from a deep place of confidence and security. And we can call on God for that, to believe it in order that we might become it. I was uh, on holiday with my family. I was doing some teaching over in Malaysia uh, this past time with some of the Malaysian church plant who were around, I think, uh, this week. And when I was on the beach with my kids, we found these two creatures. One was a horseshoe crab and one is a squid. I've never seen a horseshoe crab in the flesh before. They're an incredible thing. They, they, they look, they're called, people call them living fossils. They're a bit like trilobites, if you're a biologist here, which are pretty old, 300 million years old or thereabouts. And, and, and what's incredible about these horseshoe crabs is there's just three external parts. There's like a, a cover bit, there's a hinge tail, and then there's this, there's this hard whip tail. There's nothing else on the surface. If you turn them over, they look a bit like alien resurrection. They're kind of... Uh, there are all these like legs tucked away inside. They're pretty gross. Um, and the squid there, you know what a squid looks like. Fantastic calamari rings. Um, delicious. Uh, but you know what, what was, we had this sort of Bear grill survival school moment with me and my kids on the, you know, they were like, oh wow, look at these dad, you know, they were, they, it smelled bad, so good job, it's like seeing only today, not smelling. They smell really bad, but you know what kids are like, they're kind of, they're getting all into the goo and everything. So, um, so we're having this Bear grill survival school, we're looking at these two things on the ground, and, and, and it was fascinating to sort of hear their reflections on, on what these things were like. And we talked about how the horseshoe crab has this really hard exoskeleton. It's impenetrable. That's why it's such a successful creature. It's why it's been around for so long. But the squid's quite the reverse. The squid looks all squidgy. Apart from inside, there's this kind of amazing bone. This thing that we feed to budgerigars at a later date. This incredible bone that's inside that gives it incredible strength. And you know, we were chatting about this. And I, I was just thinking, you know, actually, what, what would you rather be, kids? I think they were pretty happy being human, to be honest. But, but you know, we, we're looking at these things and we're thinking, actually, the horseshoe crab, it, it can only go one pace on the ground. It's only got one level of opportunity, and that is walking around, looking down at the sand beneath it, hoping it's going to stumble on something interesting for it to eat. But the squid can go anywhere. It's got these huge great eyes. It can go up and down through the different levels of water. You know, it could be high, it could be low. These things disappear for months on end. There's this thing called the squid season where we were, which is two weeks of the year and after which all the squid vanish for the rest of the year and they don't, they don't return till the following year. But, but I was thinking in terms of leadership. If we're insecure, we become a horseshoe crab. You know, we want to batten down the hatches. We keep all the soft stuff hidden away. We create a really hard exoskeleton keeps danger, risk, challenge, criticism all at bay. We just trottle around impervious to anything else that's going on or anyone who might be around us. And I don't believe God's called us to that kind of ministry. You know, God's called us to a vulnerable ministry where the soft stuff is on the outside. That's not to say we haven't got deep strength because that's what this talk is all about. You have to have this inner bone, this inner strength but God's called us to a ministry of flesh and blood, a, a ministry that's vulnerable, a ministry that's connected. The squid there has got these incredible great feelers. It can connect to the people near it. It's got these massive great eyes on either side of its head. It can see what's going on. But inside is incredible strength. 
Now, our call here as leaders is to be more squid. Now, if we're so defended that we are not championing the next generation, if we're so defended that we cannot take criticism, if we're so defended that actually we cannot be vulnerable about our own struggles or challenges, then we're not leading to our full God-given potential. But if we can be more squid, we're saying, you know what? I'm, I'm soft on the outside, but I got deep foundations. My foundations in that I'm known and loved by Jesus Christ and that I'm in relationships of belonging and value with others. Therefore, I'm going to risk now. I'm going to collaborate now. I'm going to participate now. I'm going to look and see what God is doing. I'm going to taste and see that God is good. Now, my leadership ultimately can be vulnerable and yet strong. So these are the five steps to secure leadership. Change your playlist. Stop believing the same old, same old and start believing the new in order that you might become it. Be willing to fail. So yeah, failure is a sign of my success. Take more risks. Have more irons in the fire. Share your toys. Collaborate more broadly and be more squid. Be soft on the outside and strong and secure on the inside. Guarantees for secure leadership which promotes and offers you a greater opportunity for ministry and leadership success. Let's take a moment to pray before we break. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that first and foremost, we are known and loved by you. And we want to pray right now for the supernatural foundation of belonging to you. Thank you, Jesus, that whether we win or lose in leadership, we belong to you. And we pray, Father, that you change the playlist of our minds, that we might hear and believe and become the words that Jesus speaks over us. And we ask you, Lord, in human relationships, in leadership relationships, we would know that we also belong, that we have relationships of great value, that we are appreciated and loved by others. And we pray, Lord, you would enable us to risk failure, to take new opportunity, to be more vulnerable, to share the toys of leadership. So as we believe in the security that you've offered us, we might also become secure leaders before you. We pray, Lord, today you would continue to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit that these leadership lessons might become our reality. Most importantly, Father, that today we might be leaders who've built our leadership house on the rock of Jesus Christ. For your glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening, everyone.